Well, before you be seated, give your neighbor a high five. Tell them they look marvelous today. Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody got a Bible out there in this church or an electronic device with the words on it? Shake it a little bit. Make the bookstores glad and the devil mad. And let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Some of you get it. Some of you get it. It's a weapon, right? If you believe that, repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector. Cindy Flector, Faith Inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap so I know I am in the right place today. All right. Today, a message entitled, oh, very good, very good, The Cross. You know, the cross stands alone as one of the most recognizable, controversial symbols in all of world history. Without question, there has been and there is abuse. It's been amused, uh, abused and misused and worshipped. It's a symbol of terror used by the KKK and by Christian crusaders against Muslims in war. It's been used by Christians killing Jews in the Inquisition. It's carried by slave traders in the slaughter of Indians in the, Indians in the Americas. It's even used today in religious wars in uh, Europe between Protestants and Catholics. Some of the world's greatest abuse has been done in front of the cross. Yet, it's on the top of churches. It's on the cover of our Bibles. You know, the cross is popular among believers and unbelievers as wardrobe, part of their wardrobe. I mean, we got Christian earrings, Christian necklaces, Christian tattoos, Christian T-shirts, Christian grave markers, you know, as far as crosses. Uh, the cross is worn by priests and prostitutes, soldiers, Christians, and terrorists. The sign of the cross is made by some before they go into a ball game, before they go into a battle. It's made by some as before they eat or in many churches across, you know, the world. You know, the cross has been never viewed in historical sense uh, back in the early days as a pleasure or as a work of art or an object of beauty. People died horrible, bloody, agonizing, torturous deaths on the cross. It was a symbol of man's worst. And even in the most ancient Christian art, when you look at the pictures of the crucifixion, they were very bloody. It painted a picture of agony and, uh, you know, it was a symbol of suffering. Now, in modern days, you know, the blood's gone. You know, even the flies that flew around, the blood-stained face, they're gone. The smell of death is gone. You know, the, the sound of the hammer hitting the nails going through the flesh, that's all gone. It's all been cleaned up. And now your cross might be gold or silver. It might be embedded or studded with, you know, diamonds or emeralds. You know, in the early days of the cross, when people would see it, there was a, more of a sense of disgust and ridicule. And today we say, oh, man, that cross, man, how lovely is that? Man, that's beautiful. Where would you get that? You know, how much did that cost you? These are things that would have never been heard in the first century. What did it cost? Well, it cost the father his son. It cost the son his life. What does it cost us? It cost us everything. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we want to hear your heart in this matter. Uh, Lord, I pray again, kind of be out of the way, but your words will go forth and not come back void. Lord, let us speak to every heart in here. 
you know, from 8 to 80 or whatever the age may be or wherever we may be in our position to the cross. And I pray we leave today closer to the cross, closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what Jesus said about the cross, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who is being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. Remember that part. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Let's talk about the message of the cross, okay? First of all, it's a strange message that life could come out of death. To the Jews, the Bible said it was a stumbling block. They were looking for signs. They were looking for a sign. And Jesus performed miracles. I mean, he healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He, uh, you know, raised the dead, cleansed lepers. But these were not the signs they were looking for. They were looking for the kind of signs, some sharp-dressed man coming back, not born in a manger, but maybe in a mansion, and somebody who had very strong political views, somebody that could lead an army, and they'd have gladly joined the army, somebody to come and take over the Roman government. That's what they were looking for. But you know what? The cross got in their way. To the Greeks, it was said they looked for wisdom. They were some of the great thinkers of the day. They produced men like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, men of great reason. Well, reason tells you that babies aren't born from virgin girls. Reason tells you that God doesn't become flesh. Reason tells you that an almighty God would not allow mere man to nail him to a cross. Reason tells you that when a man dies, he's not resurrected and come back to life again. None of that makes sense. So the Greeks look to the cross as foolishness. Foolishness comes from the same word we get the word moron from. So the idea of somebody bloody, tortured, hanging on a cross and could save you would be moronic. But the message of the cross, even though it's a strange message to those who haven't experienced it, it's the power of God and a changed life to those who have. Has anybody experienced that power in Jesus' name? You know, it's also a shocking message. The death of Christ on the cross, absolute torture. The Bible said his appearance was marred more than any man. In other words, he's almost unrecognizable as a human as they beat and tortured him. You think about putting a bag over his head, some of the toughest Roman soldiers, punching him in the face, saying, prophesy who hit you, son of God, mocking him. Then taking those thorns, probably three or four inches long, and jamming them down on his head. And then these same Roman soldiers would take what's called the cat of nine tails, the whip with the nine strands of leather. At the end of each piece of leather would be a piece of pottery or, or glass or metal. And these guys were good at it. They would whip that thing and it would dig into their back and then they would just jerk it back and literally rip skin off their back. And they've done tests on cadavers where after about 22 whippings, 
the organs would start to be exposed. And he took 39. And then they probably had that cross on the ground, and they would lay him on there and nail him, hands and feet, and probably tie him too. And there was a little pedestal there where their feet were. And then they would raise it up probably with a pulley system, raise it up in the air, and then drop it down in its stand. And when it dropped, they say, usually your shoulders are dislocated. And so at that point, you've got to raise up and down with your feet just to be able to breathe. And this torture could go on for several days. And if they needed to speed it up, in the case of Jesus, it was going to be the Sabbath, what would they do? They'd go and break their legs. Wouldn't be able to raise up and maybe not even breathe anymore. And with him, he was already dead, according to prophecy, and they stuck the sword and blood and water flowed. And what I just described doesn't really even scratch the surface, really, of what took place on that cross and how bad it was. But there's only one way to God, and it's by way of the cross. There's no salvation apart from Jesus and what he did on that cross. Not at all. So not only is it a strange message and a shocking message, it's a simple message. Sin dies, hell is defeated, heaven is delivered. I mean, sin dies. When you become a Christian, when you put your trust in Christ, the chains of sin is broken, you're no longer a slave to sin. And at those times when I tried to kind of just have Jesus in my spare tire, not really trusting him as Lord, those were times, I mean, sin would literally drive me. There were things that I just couldn't shake. But when I gave my life to Christ, you know, those things were broken. And my life changed. Now, of course, there's still a drawing to want to go back there. And for a time, you might have went back there. But you can either learn the easy way or the hard way. How many have done it the hard way? And realize, hey, it's not worth going back to that stuff. And going back in bondage when you've been set free. Hell is defeated, John 5. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. A born-again believer doesn't have to face the fires and the flames of hell. Heaven is delivered, John 14. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's home has many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, you will, I will come back and take you with me. You may be where I am also. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Now, this is a two-part message. I needed to warn you. Uh, if you want to hear the second part, you just got to stick around a little longer, okay? Part one's over. Half time. Kind of stretch a little bit, all right? But before we go to the part two, I want you, I'm going to speak mainly to Christians on part two. So if you're not a Christian, now would be a good time to become a Christian, okay? And what do I mean? I said, well, first of all, are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Very important. Have you really put your trust in what happened on that cross? Like I said, I, I grew up in church. I knew all the Sunday school lessons, and I knew what happened on that cross. But a guy asked me a question. April 14th, 1984, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? I didn't have an answer. I thought, well, maybe I'd do more good than bad. Maybe I'd talk my way in. How does this work? And that's where he said that God loved me and had a plan for my life. But my sin separated me. Jesus died on the cross for me. and It was only through him that I could know and experience God's love and plan. But the last thing I'd never heard, he said, you have to individually invite Christ into your life. That's when he challenged me to raise my hand to say a prayer and repeat a prayer after him, to give God permission to come into my life. Because God's not going to force his way into your life. And some of you are not here by happenstance today. 
You're here because God divinely orchestrated this time. And I believe he's having me stop in the middle of this message. Because that's what this cross is about. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. If you'd have been the only person here, he'd have died for you. See, you'll never find peace except through the Prince of Peace, and his name's Jesus. And so right now, wherever you're sitting, every eye open, everybody looking around. Because I'm telling you, what Jesus did on that cross was not a private thing. He was stripped before the whole world and beaten tortured for us that we could experience life and life more abundantly. It's not like, I'm not going to say you're not going to ever have a problem again, but you know what? You're going to have Jesus with you to go through those problems. Amen? How many have given their life to Christ and done this thing publicly? Look around. you got a lot of people who are going to be excited about this for you and help you walk through this. So today, if you need to get right with God, if you never asked him into your life, never done anything like this publicly, and you want to know today that God's going to come into your life, I want you to hold your hand up so we can pray right where you're at. I'm not going to have you come forward. I see a little guy, and man, I'm telling you. Anybody else? I see your hand. God bless you. Amen. Anybody else? Let's get things right before we go on. Maybe you've gotten away. I'm telling you, it's an exciting time. Anybody else you need to get right with God? I'm going to wait just a second. God bless you. Amen. 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 Anybody else? God bless you, sir. Amen. 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 Could be somebody in here that's thinking, eh, maybe. I mean, who doesn't want you to raise your hand? Your flesh or the devil? One more chance. Anybody need to join this prayer? We're going to pray here right now. I see your hand too, and your hand, and your hand. Amen. God bless. Amen. I'm telling you, the Bible says when one person does that, the angels in heaven get excited. And I'm telling you, this is an exciting time. You remember this date, April what, 8th, 2018. You'll look back and you'll see a change in your life. Let's say this prayer together. Everybody can join in. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I thank you that you're forgiving my sins, that there's a new life that's available for me. And I'm going to start walking in that with your power in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, at the end of the service, I do want you to come up and over to that area, and Pastor Travis will be there. But we've got a packet we want to give you to help you in this walk. Okay, now let's talk about the ministry of the cross, okay? 2 Corinthians 5. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live should no longer live for them. I need to read that again. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we no longer do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's say reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, the message of the cross. Simple word, C-R-O-S-S. I'm going to give you a little handle to take this message home, okay? It's the word cross, and the C stands for care about people. Let's say that together. Care about people. That's the message of this cross. It's about caring about people. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and how are they going to know unless somebody tells them? And just don't tell them how much you care. We need to show them how much we care. We're ambassadors for Christ. He came to seek and save that what was lost. We have a mission, all right? We have a ministry. Say, I am a minister. Okay, I do want to take time and acknowledge all those that are in full-time ministry. Would you stand real quick? Slowly getting it, slowly getting it. Are you in full, not, I'm not saying, are you on staff at a church? I'm saying, are you in full time? If you're a Christian, okay, you getting it now? All right, give yourselves a hand clap. Full-time ministers. All right. You never know whether to stand or raise your hand when I'm around, do you? Because becoming a minister is not dependent on a degree from seminary. Not how many years of theological training you have. It's what's happened in our heart. It's an attitude of the heart. It's about our love for God and our love for people because of what he's done for us. Christ's love compels us. It's a simple message. Why do we make it so complicated? Christ died for me. Now I live for him. Okay? The next word is the letter R, reconciliation. That's that great big word. My word, what is, it's pretty simple meaning. It means to renew a friendship, to restore a relationship. So if you've got a husband and wife that have been arguing, and now maybe they're not sleeping together, maybe they're not even living together now, but God gets a hold of them, or somebody does, and they come back together, we say they've been what? They've been reconciled. There's been reconciliation take place. Now, with God, this whole thing started where God created Adam, and there was a relationship. They walked and talked in the garden, and then he created a helpmate for him, Eve, and they had that whole place, and he had relationship with them. I mean, amazing situation, beautiful place, maybe thousands of trees, but one tree, stay away from that one, that's the test, and they, you know what, oh, by the way, my mom did send me a text, and she said, you know, the computer dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And yes, it was an apple. It had limited memory, one bite, and everything crashed. So props to my mom, Donna, in, in uh, Montana out there somewhere. But God knew immediately that we wouldn't be able to, you know, not take the bite, whatever the case may be. He already had a plan in place. And it was a pretty rough plan to send his son to die for what? to reconcile us so we can have relationship again. So this is not about religion. This is about having a relationship. Amen? So we're given this ministry of reconciliation. So everything we do, everything we say should be in the context of reconciling people to a right relationship with God. Paul says this in, first, in Colossians 1.23. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of I, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. 
Then he goes on to say he's an apostle. But you know what's a higher calling than pastor or apostle or evangelist? Servant. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, not prophet or apostle. I mean, it's about being a servant. That, I believe, is the highest call there is. You know, there's a story from the 1900s that I best, to me, best describes Paul's heart in this matter and, and kind of what it means to be a servant. There was an engineer at a construction site that went up to the third floor on the scaffolding, on the third story up, and he fell and looked like he was going to plummet to his death, and right below him was a common laborer. And he saw what was happening. He had time to step out of the way, but instead, in a split second, he braced himself, knowing the only way this guy is going to survive if I help break his fall. And so that engineer hits him and is basically very not injured very much at all. But the guy he landed on ended up in the hospital, almost every bone broken in his body. He ended up being severely handicapped. It was a year later, a reporter came and interviewed him and asked how this former construction labor, what, how the relationship changed with this engineer who saved his, who, his life he saved. And here's what he said. He gave me half of all he owns, including a share of his business. He is constantly concerned about my needs, never lets me want for anything. Almost every day he gives me some token of thanks or, re, or uh, remembrance. You know, that engineer who was saved became a servant to that one who saved him. The Apostle Paul became a lifelong servant to this ministry of reconciliation because his life was changed. Okay, now, let's talk for a moment and let's get a little more real. Let's get close to home. Let's kind of get right up there face-to-face -face with the issues you're dealing with, all right? I mean, just hear me out through the rest of the message, okay, because this could get a little uncomfortable because we're going to talk about stuff like that you deal with every day, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. We, and first of all, CNN says that the average teenager spends nine hours a day on social platforms. A 13-year-old girl will check her stuff about 100 times a day. But adults, we're in it for at least five hours with television and stuff. But again, I'm not here to talk about any of that. Uh, I'm not going to bring any condemnation or anything on you for that stuff or any of us. But what I do want to talk about is sometimes what I see on social media. What I see from Christians on social media. And I go, they're a Christian? And I kind of go back and forth in my mind. Okay, now, this comes to a place where I want to put some images up on the screen. And when I do, it could tend to polarize us. It could tend to, well, I'm on this side of the fence or that side of the fence. And again, it could be a little controversial. But, I mean, we just, we kind of have our opinions and whatever. So this first one's a little more old school. Some of us, what our guys and, and older men have maybe faced and have kind of divided us to some degree. But what is it? Is it Ford or Chevy? Now, you older guys know what I'm talking about because it used to be one or the other, depending on what your parents did. Okay, we're going closer to home now. Uh, Android or Apple? Oh, look at them go. They're already jumping on sides, dividing the church. Okay, I kind of joked around a little bit, but now we'll kind of get a little more serious because this is pretty important right here. Who's it going to be, Michael Jordan or LeBron? That's not even a contest, is it? Okay, okay, enough joking around, enough joking around. Because this is the one that I really have had to counsel people on. And some marriages have kind of been bumping heads, so this might mean a little more to you. Over the top or underneath? Toilet paper. And I settled this issue two years ago. I found out the original manufacturer, you look on their cover of the original one, it goes over. 
It just saved you time and trouble, so okay, okay. Okay, this, I could put up some images there that would, we'd go, ugh. But let the Holy Spirit do that in your mind for a moment, some things that just kind of are controversial, whatever the case may be. But this is not a discussion about what you or I think about political things or racially dividing things. It's more about our response to these things, how we react to these things based on the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of polarization. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we all stand on one side of the road or the other based on our opinions, but with this ministry in mind, do we react out of our opinions or do we respond out of our love for God? Okay, the letter O in the word cross stands for out of our minds, all right? We read that already in 2 Corinthians 5.13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. To the world, Christians are out of their mind. I mean, why would somebody bless their enemy? Why would somebody give money when you need it yourself? Why would somebody cry in prayer? Why would somebody lift their hands to God in worship? I mean, why would somebody give 10% back to God? Is that some sort of tax or something? Why would somebody serve others? Why would somebody give up possessions to follow Christ? Why would somebody give up a career to follow ministry or missions? Why would Bethany and Mason? Mason, stand. You were the one to baptize your sister today. And Bethany's upstairs right now in the kids' ministry. Why would you leave your home where they deliver food to you in a matter of 30 minutes. You can order something on Amazon and have it there sometimes the same day. I mean, why? I mean, give the Lord a hand clap. Support them. But just as much as he's a full-time minister and going to step out in faith, there's other ministers. And last night right over there, we had a, a uh, state trooper from Texas that works at the way station uh, between here and Atlanta. He's stopping truckers all the time, but it's always about ministry. He's always asking, Lord, what do I need to pray for him about? You know, what do I need to say and what help them? We got Karen Mode here who's a realtor now, but when she was a waitress, she would come and she would give you food, she would bring you tea, she would bring you dessert, and she would bring you Jesus, no matter what. There's probably people in this church that got invited her here because of that, full-time ministry. You know, why would somebody give up their career? Why would somebody say no to drinking alcohol and other pleasures that would cause somebody else to stumble? You know, there's two kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom that's coming from the world, and there's a wisdom that's coming from God. And as times as Christians, I think we mistakenly uh, identify wisdom from the world as being godly wisdom. The way to kind of sort through that, usually if that wisdom is benefiting you for some reason, you know, that's where you, you kind of, you know, we can even use scriptures to make our point. You know, we've done that. And I'm not saying that we don't need to take a stand. You know, we've got a pastor that's willing to take a stand because the church has gotten too silent on some issues. But what I'm talking about in everyday life, sometimes the things we do are just so polarizing before we, we sort it through the message of the cross, through the ministry of reconciliation. But here's a good way to sort through some things as far as wisdom. James 3, 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You know, that's a way to sort. Even prophetic ministry needs to be sorted through. Is it a message of love? Is it a heart of love that's coming out of this? 
Worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Our opinion or the mind of Christ? Because the battle's in the mind. Reasoning can get us in trouble. It causes fights. It causes wars. Matter of fact, James 3, we go above there and read about worldly wisdom. First it said, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Man, there's a witness. Let him show you by your good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and every evil practice. Okay, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're new creations. So before we're earthly minders, we're lovers of God. Before we live and work for ourselves, we work for who? We work for the Lord. Amen? Amen? Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Here's what Paul said. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Everything we do should be, we're going to be held accountable first for everything we say and do, but it should be driven by the message of the cross. Okay, the letter S is side. In other words, whose side are you on? Joshua said, as for me and my house, you know, we're serving the Lord. But I want you to think about it a little different for a second. There's a story I read in the book of Joshua that always kind of gets, I'm just kind of amazed by the response here by the angel of the Lord. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a, a, draw, a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In other words, whose side are you on? Interesting response, neither. He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the armies replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, this is either a theophany, God showing up, a Christophany, Christ showing up. And ain't whatever the case may be, the presence of the Lord is there. Just like when Moses, when the Lord spoke to him in that burning bush, and they responded, man, I'm your servant. And they just began to worship. Here's a term I want you to get. It's called quorum Deo. Let's say that together. Quorum Deo. It's a Latin phrase that came kind of strong in the 16th century. It basically means in the presence of God. It's a Christian theology summarizes the idea of a Christian living life in the presence of God, in the face of God, under the authority of God, to the honor and glory of God, your everyday life. So I'm going to ask you, whose side are you on? Because it's human nature to just want to pick a side. And when you don't, a lot of times the enemy will try to push you to decide, especially all we see in the racial division right now. I mean, it's the 50-year anniversary of Martin Luther King being assassinated. You just think back, and this was, I mean, there was both extremes, but this was a man that was trying to take the Bible and trying to go through the cross and help people to realize we're all created equal. You know, man or woman, you know, Jew or Greek, black or white, red or yellow, whatever the case may be. But whose side are you on? See, as believers, sometimes we presume that God's on our side without due consideration. Even back in the Civil War, I mean, people on both sides, godly people. Here's what Abraham Lincoln said that I think kind of serves us well today. My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. God is always right. So looking through the glasses of the ministry of reconciliation, we don't need to try to convince people to come over to our side. We need to point them to the cross. I think so many times we try to get them cleaned up or get our theology in them, and then you can't get clean to get God. you got to get God to get clean. 
Let the cross do the work. Let the power of the Holy Spirit do the work. People would even try, well, first of all, you've got to care about people more than your opinions, okay? Because opinions are like belly buttons. We all have one. they got a lot of stuff in there that don't really matter much. Get real close to it. They don't smell that good. And one thing for certain, yours is deformed and mine's perfect, all right? We've got to care about people. They try to get Jesus to take a side. I'm not suggesting, again, that Jesus was neutral at all. Matter of fact, when it came to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the lawyers, people that tried to use religion for their benefit or for their profit, he would turn their tables over. Amen? And sometimes the church, we need to be a strong voice. But here's what they did with Jesus. The, the scriptures will be on the screen. I'll just kind of tell you. Basically, some people were killed by Pilate, and they were mixing their Christian's blood you know, and in the sacrifices. And they said, man, surely these people were bad sinners. And how did Jesus respond? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he said, hey, what about, we saw in the news today, that tower, it fell on 18 people. Surely they were bad people and sinners. That's why that happened to them. What did Jesus say? No, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus had a way to get them to look at the big picture. Even with the adulterous woman, he got it back on us and got us to kind of, got them to kind of think. Coram Deo. Living in the presence of the Lord. The Christian who compartmentalizes his or her life into two sections, religious and non-religious, you fail to grasp the big picture. It's all about God. That's what our life is. It's all about God. When you get saved, that's part of picking up your cross. You become a full-time minister. You become someone that's following Christ and denying yourself. Amen? Cormondale, living in the presence of God, before the face of God, that's the big picture. You know, now, you got to be careful because there's always people, like on social media, for instance, that are out there chumming. Okay, well, if you've been fishing and you've been chumming, you, what you do is you throw out a whole bunch of bait. You just throw a bunch of stuff in the water. And what happens? The fish smell it. They're attracted. They come up. And they start eating away in a frenzy. And then you throw out your bait with a hook on, and boom, they take the bait, right? Okay, now how many will be honest? You're scrolling down Facebook, and oh, no. And you just can't help but take the bait. You just, I got to give my opinion. I just got to get in there in this discussion. Come on, be honest. How many of you just, it's kind of our human nature sometimes to be able to do that. And I'm not saying, you know, just try to filter things through the cross. You know, take a moment before you just out of your opinion and out of your flesh just kind of start spouting off. Because sometimes, uh, you know, and it's always, you know, we're right. You know, God's on our side. But sometimes, you know, is it helping them reconcile their relationship with God? Okay, the other S in the word cross is share the good news. Say good news. The word gospel means good news. There's enough bad news out there. Stop trying to pe get people to come over to your side and just point them to the cross. It's the power of the cross that can change lives. It's a message of hope. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of restoration, a message of, of restoration and reconciliation. You know, on the Billy Graham website, as I kind of head to the finish here, one of their uh, guys on staff gave five points to help us in our Christian walk be a better example. Number one, your own life is a great part of your witness. You know, if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't really have a lot to share, do you? People will not only listen to your words, more they will watch your lifestyle. And we read those scriptures. 
Number two, we need to earn the right to be heard by listening to others. Everyone has a story. We just can't ramble on about our life. The Bible says Jesus was a friend to sinners. He crossed racial barriers, economic barriers. He went to the people that other people wouldn't go to. The Bible said he was a friend to sinners. That meant he must have sat and listened to them, had conversations with them. You know, people, the people that I have that are friends are those that I know, hey, I can go talk to cars about them. They're going to listen to me. You know, when I fixed this on my car, or I did that. You know, there's some people that you're just going on and on, and you just never get a chance to talk. I mean, we all like to be heard, don't we? I mean, think of that as a ministry opportunity. Sometimes just listen to people. And, and when you're listening, the Holy Spirit can say, oh, man, that's a chance. You know, like I said, I became a full-time minister April 14, 1984, and I wasn't in a church, you know, on staff. But even now, I went to uh, somewhere in Atlanta to pick up a car part somebody had. And I know the guy a little bit. I just knew he went through a divorce recently. But that was just one of those times where, man, I know this is a tough time because he brought it up. I mean, he's there in a house by himself. And he's going through a tough time. So I said, well, this is what God did in my life and just kind of laid the gospel out there. In this case, I didn't just, you know, you know, pressure for, you know, to try to set the hook or anything, some water, some plant. I just felt like, let's just give him this. I'm going to see him again, see how he's doing, invite him to church. We're just listening to people. Number three, recognize that people are looking for a cure. When you go to the doctor, you don't say, I have cancer. Instead, you start telling them symptoms. And that's where most people live. They only see symptoms. They're saying, you know, I'm lonely. I'm suffering from a broken relationship. I'm stressed. You know, I'm in this darkness, and I don't know what to do with it. You know, how do you share Christ with someone who's overwhelmed with their symptoms? We know the ultimate cure, right? It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't come to die for our symptoms. He came to die for our sin. That's the real issue and problem. Number four, keep it simple. The gospel's simple. Christ died for our sins. He was dead, buried, rose again. We need to turn from the things that are wrong, begin to trust Him and follow Him. Don't make it complicated. So many times we try to throw in religious terms or our denominational views. I mean, just keep it simple. And the last one should stress that. Number one, stress the love of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Who would ever believe in Him? And that's where it starts, and that's where we need to start. We need to be motivated by the love of God. The love of Christ compels us. Let me finish with this story from Arthur Blessed. Has anybody heard of this man or know him? He's the one that's carried the cross literally around the world. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest walker pilgrimage. He's carried the cross 42,279 miles. That's 324 countries, island groups, and territories, 84 84.5 million steps and over 19 billion pounds carried. He's done it for 50 years. He's 77 years old right now. He said, my wife Denise has driven in front of me with supplies and has been with me in 294 countries. I'm still walking in 2018. We are just pilgrims, donkeys lifting up the cross, and Jesus, God bless you. And here's a story from one of his books when he was in New Zealand. So he's carrying the cross. He was coming up, you know, kind of by the sea, and he's, the road's narrow, and there's not a lot of room on the side. You pretty much got to be in, in the middle of the road. You're coming over, and you see the, oh, the sea. And he sees this lady running along the sea. So then he goes around the corner, and he's kind of, you know, he's hidden for a while. He comes back around, and the road goes straight down to the sea, and here's this lady running right toward him. 
And this is how he recounts the story. She shared his story. She had been living there by the sea for two and a half years in a house. That day she decided to end her life. She had come to the sea to find peace and purpose, but now was in despair. She was going to run into the water and drown. It was going to be her last run before dying. She stopped and cried out, God, if there be a God, I need life. She looked up, and there was the cross. As I carried it up the mountain, and she approached me weeping, she said, the cross, the cross. I saw the cross. I've come to the cross. We talked for a long while beside the road, then prayed together, cried together, then rejoiced and laughed. I invited her to walk on with me and where my wife Denise would be waiting in the camper ahead. She smilingly said, no, I'm okay now. I know what to do now. You go on and help someone else. And he goes on to say this, my deep desire is just to be there holding up the cross, lifting up Jesus, loving him, following him, loving each person I meet. I humbly pray this message about the cross is there for you. God bless you. You know, as we close, I just want us to think, are we carrying our cross daily? I mean, are we being a witness? Are we just being an example? Are we being there to listen or to help or to serve or whatever, or to pray for somebody, whatever the case may be? You know, I know we all fall short, but that's why it's so important to be with other believers as much as you can and be regularly come to church. You know, regularly spend time in your word and talking to God and, and, and renewing that relationship and refreshing that relationship, okay? So as we close... I kind of want to go back to my original first question. And I kind of want to take a moment. For those of you that raised your hand and we said that prayer together, I mean, that was a powerful thing. But I kind of want to make sure that's sealed, you know, in you. And that the devil doesn't talk you out of it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to really be bold. I'm going to have you stand up and walk up front here. Oh, my word. Why would I do that? Because right now the Word of God says that if you stand up for God, Jesus will stand up for you. If you deny God before man, he'll deny you before his father. It's just a chance to kind of confirm this, to kind of publicly say, hey, I'm willing to follow Christ. I'm, I'm telling you, without even begging somebody, he steps up and says, man, I want to come. Anybody want to come join us? You raise your hand or know you need to? Come on down here. Let's just kind of say a prayer together. Proud of you. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Give him a hand clap. Come on. Amen. Amen. Proud of you. Proud of you, buddy. Amen. You know God, don't you? I know you know God, and you're just so really fired up about him and excited. I'm glad you came down here, though. Amen. God bless you, God. We all do. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Would you guys do me a favor? Would you turn around and just do like this if anybody else needs to come up? Anybody else? Come join them. I know there's one more person out there that wants to be up here. Come on, come on. There you are. All right. We already said that prayer, right? You give God permission. He's in your life right now. You know, Pastor Travis is going to have a little, uh, you know, a little gift for you to kind of help you in your walk. But would everybody stretch your hands forward? Lord, we thank you for these that have boldly come forward today. Lord, and I pray, Lord, Lord, that you fill them with your spirit. Lord, that you will use them in a mighty way. I break the spirit of death off of them 
In Jesus' name, I release life over them in the name of Jesus. Lord, you would come and just fill them fresh with your spirit, Lord. Lord, use them in a mighty way. Everything the enemy has taken and stolen from them, we call restored in Jesus' name. Lord, bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just step over to Travis. He'll give you that thing. Man, I'm proud of you. Amen. Amen. Everybody else to stand to our feet. I want our altar team to come up here. But some of you need to do some business before you leave. Some of you have been a little cowardly in your, you know, picking up the cross. And, and, and just pray for God to strengthen. Let's do that right now. If you want to be a little more bold for Christ, hold up both hands. Say, God, fill me with your spirit. I need your power to be a witness all over this place. Lord, come down with your power now. Lord, give us a divine opportunity to just love on somebody, to point him to the cross. And we thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus' name. Altars are open if you need prayer for anything. Let's worship through one time before you leave.